Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for this evening, and uh, thank you that you've brought us here all safely together to open up your word and to grow in the knowledge of you and of your Son. I pray that your spirit would be with us and that you'd uh, teach us and instruct us and encourage us. Um, we also pray for our fellow believers uh, who are not here. Pray that you'd build them up and build up our uh, local body and uh, Lord Jesus that you'd add to and make disciples and uh, even use us to uh, build up uh, your church. And so we uh, thank you for uh, all of these things and pray that we do them to your honor and glory. Amen. All right, so last time uh, we were uh, back in the Torah, uh, looking at uh, Moses' uh, authorship and a role as a teacher, author, uh, mediator uh, of the, the Torah, of the, the five books of uh, Moses. And so I want to continue that tonight and uh, try to uh, wrap it up. Um, we have a couple things to, to touch on, but we can do more of that in the future too. And then uh, we'll be uh, going into uh, Genesis. And also uh, just had a couple of thoughts from uh, last week. First off, I had mentioned uh, Paul Washer. Uh, I wasn't even, wasn't in my notes or anything like that. And I looked something up on the, the Cripplegate, and actually uh, he wouldn't identify as charismatic. Uh, some had that misconception. I think there may be uh, some people he quoted and such, and maybe certain things he said that uh, was misunderstood. And so even like on the, the Cripplegate's uh, blog online uh, from uh, the started by master's seminary, uh, some professors and, and graduates and such. And so I just wanted to clarify that because I don't want to, you know, misrepresent someone or, or end up uh, accidentally like slandering them or anything like that. And so uh, and even like some things where uh, he has, I, I forget, uh, sermon, it's like the most shocking message or, or something that, uh, that you've ever heard they delivered to like youth and such and did some of these where he, he went to a sort of a, a youth retreat that he was invited to and uh, as far as he could tell uh, with, with a lot of like seeker churches and such uh, most didn't know the gospel uh, most uh, probably were not uh, Christians and such and so uh, he really preached like the law and such and, uh, and the, the gospel. And so he can also be sometimes characterized by some of those things that, uh, you know, the most shocking message you've ever heard, you know, they put that on uh, YouTube and uh, people hear that and they're like, oh, that's just Paul Washer. You know, that's how he talks all the time. And he's just kind of a, a, a prophet of uh, sulfur and fire and judgment. <laughs> but uh, he, he has other stuff, too, uh, and talking about the disciples and such, uh, where he's not always, uh, you know, preaching uh, a, a fiery judgment preacher. Uh, so, and I was also thinking about, uh, Julie, uh, you said that it seemed kind of, kind of harsh uh, what, what God did uh, with Moses, where he struck the rock twice. And I think you have a point there where if you just like read that, where I think part of it, it is supposed to kind of come, come across as kind of startling. You see God's forgiveness along the way and now um, with all that the people have done and building the golden calf and uh, all of their sin and rebellion uh, throughout the wilderness. You know, initially it might kind of seem, well, he, he struck the rock twice and you know, maybe God could, could just forgive him. Uh, again this time and so I think part of it is almost supposed to shock but then it, it gets you thinking about God's holiness and, and where he sinned was at uh, Kadesh it is uh, where God was uh, God was glorified uh, he was shown to be holy uh, both in providing for the people the water still flowed forth from the rock even though Moses uh, rebelled against God and didn't uh, give the command and, and speak 
uh, to the rock, as God said. God still gives the provision of water for the people, but then now Moses can't enter. God brings judgment because he is holy and righteous, and he, he can, yes, he forgives, but uh, he also cannot uh, just pass over sin. Uh, it seemed like Moses put up with so much from the Israelites, and he kept begging mm-hmm. God to not destroy mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And then he just does that little thing with the yeah. rock. You're like, interesting. But then I, I think you're supposed to kind of like zoom out a little bit and suddenly remember, oh, wait, when God first commissioned Moses, he tried every which way. No, I'm not going, hey, God, find someone else. You know, I, I, I don't want to go, you know, don't, don't send me. And then on the way, not, he hadn't circumcised his son. And so his Midianite, non-Israelite wife, son of Abraham, but not, uh, not through, through Isaac, she circumcises his son. He had broken the covenant. He had, he had violated the covenant uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And anyone who did that was to be cut off. And so, as Bob put it, uh, either be circumcised or be cut off uh, from the, the people. Uh, and so, it was his wife that circumcised his son. And so, he was spared uh, from, from God's wrath and, and anger against him. And so, he failed uh, to keep the covenant. He, he, was, a, he was a covenant breaker. Uh, which shows his not just disobedience but unbelief or neglect uh, wh- whatever whatever it was uh, God held him to that and you know, along the way uh, there, uh, you see his uh, his reluctance you see times that Moses uh, loses his temper and such and and instead of talking about how the, even the people were mistreating him you know maybe could have a pity party or something but he, he speaks of God and talks about how Yahweh was mistreating him and treating him badly uh, earlier earlier in Numbers. And so he intercedes, but he starts to kind of lose his cool uh, more and more until the point where he gets so angry at the people and in his hypocrisy calls them a bunch of rebels and then disobeys God and, and disregards him. And so like the man, the woman in the garden, they eat from the tree. You know, pe- people talk about, well, you have the moral, civil, ceremonial. Well, it's kind of ceremonial. I mean, it, it was moral, though. God, God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the next sin, after they sinned uh, in the garden against God, which was idolatry and, and all, all that entails, uh, Cain murders uh, his, his brother, uh, fratricide. He murders his uh, his brother. That's that's the cost of, of rebellion against uh, God. There, there's no there's no end to it. Uh, and so, I, I think I think you have a point where it's it is supposed to I think kind of shock you a little bit because it might initially seem kind of like a uh, you know maybe God could just forgive him again. He's done that before. Uh, might seem kind of small, but then. You, you realize he's been appointed over these over 600,000 men, not including women and children, uh, to represent God. And you think about his prior sins and rebellion and of the people. And so he had uh, a greater responsibility uh, to, to represent God. And he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't regard him as holy when he did that. So uh, kind, of, kind of maybe shocks you, jars you a little bit. But then you kind of have to think of like the bigger picture and why why God did that and how many times he's already forgiven Moses and, and looked over uh, and not even uh, he didn't even address when Moses is saying that you're treating your servant uh, badly and, and mistreating me and uh, such so yeah no, I, I thought that I thought it was a good good point that you raised yeah Mm-hmm. That didn't have anything to do with a picture of Calvary. Uh, well, you, Jesus wanted to be struck one, one time death for salvation, and it wasn't because it was a symbol. No, I, I, I wouldn't think that 
that's not something that I don't think the like the original audience, if you're reading in context, would uh, would quite get. Okay. But the, there are sometimes things like uh, look at the uh, the the serpent in the wilderness, and we'll look at that sometime in the the future. Uh, but they uh, the serpents go out and uh, uh, bite the people, and they're they're dying. They're they're poisonous and such. There are many who are uh, poisoned and, and dying uh, because of it. And then he has Moses uh, raise up this uh, bronze serpent on a pole, which may be a, a picture of even sort of uh, killing it, uh, kind, of, kind of like the, the serpent in the, the garden. Uh, the man, the woman, should have expelled it. They should have executed it. They should have uh, anything but listened to it. Uh, they were to... They were to keep the uh, the garden uh, and to, to care for it and not listen to the creature. Uh, they they were given rule and dominion over the creatures, and so now Jesus draws on that in uh, in the Gospel of John. But the thing you have to be careful with is uh, numbers is not the Gospel of John, and so. A, a future author in Jesus can draw on that and, and draw an analogy and say, like the like the serpent in the wilderness that the people looked upon, and they were healed because God uh, did that as provision. They could believe God's word uh, and uh, look upon uh, this serpent, and uh, He would heal them. But He can draw on that and draw an analogy and say, so the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Uh, for for the forgiveness of sins that that people might live, but that's uh, that's uh, an analogy that Jesus draws upon, and of course God knew that He was going to do that in His providence, but uh, to to find uh, His analogy in drawing on it, that's in the Gospel of John. Uh, that's uh, you know about fifteen hundred uh, years later or whatever, but. That's not the that's not in uh, in numbers, and so you have to look at kind of each text. Where sometimes you have a, a singular future predictive prophecy uh, that's just about the the coming anointed one. However, a lot of times you also have things like uh, expectations about corporate offices, uh, the covenants, and such. And uh, throughout Israel's history. Just because Jesus is the ultimate judge and fulfills all, all expectations and hopes and establishes God's justice perfectly, it doesn't mean that the corporate office of judge is irrelevant to Deborah and Barak uh, and to Samuel uh, and such throughout, throughout history. But they're not, they're not the end of it. You know, they're, they're not the last uh, to uh, fulfill that office and uh, all of the expectations of perfect justice and, and one day uh, in and, and with uh, Christ uh, Paul says do you not know that you will judge angels and you can't handle this small little thing uh, in the Corinthian church God's going to make us just judges and, and be judges over, over the nations and, and even over the heavenly angels in Christ uh, new, new humanity uh, uh, a new redeemed uh, people in, in Israel uh, that he's going to establish them. And so so it is with uh, the king, uh, the priest, and the prophet. Uh, just because he fulfills all the expectations that one could ever hope for for Israel's king, and, and Yahweh is ultimately the only truly perfect and righteous king, it doesn't mean it's irrelevant to David and to Solomon and to Hezekiah and Josiah and so on. God was faithful with his promises throughout those ages. They, they fulfilled that off, filled that office for a time, but they certainly didn't bring God's everlasting uh, reign. Uh, only, only the God-man uh, can do that. And so you, you have to first uh, carefully you know, understand and like, read whole books and un understand like a passage in its context, uh, and then read the, the New Testament and, and then you can begin to ask, now how is the, you know, what did it mean uh, to the original audience, you know, uh, through Moses or, you know, an Old Testament author? 
And then, now how is the New Testament author using that? You know, are they using it as analogy? Or is this just a, a, a one-time uh, future uh, predictive prophecy? Or is it a corporate office? Is, is, it, uh, is it a covenant? Uh, the covenants, God was faithful to them throughout history. And, you know, you have, they're, they're partially fulfilled and God gives, uh, gives blessings and such. But the fullness doesn't, doesn't come until, until Christ. So uh, does that help? Yeah. And so now, uh, getting back to, to numbers, and that kind of is a little bit of a segue back in with the serpent and such. I was even thinking with uh, Moses' uh, role as a teacher and mediator and author, you know, there, there are some major differences between uh, him and uh, Jesus uh, in that uh, Moses did a tremendous amount of writing in his own day and then dictating and having scribes write and appointing them to write and such. But if you think about some, some of the complexities we're seeing where uh, he even uses Aaron, uh, his brother, he uses his nephews, Eliezer and Ithamar and uh, his grandnephew Phinehas, uh, Joshua, uh, the Levites, the elders, uh, for the records of the tabernacle, uh, to, to keep records and such, and uh, for, uh, to record for the census, and uh, all, the, all the different roles that different Levitical uh, clans uh, filled with the tabernacle and such. And Jesus, if you think about the Gospels, okay, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they're fundamentally the teaching of Christ, aren't they? They're his teaching. And he, he appointed them and said that, uh, th that by the Spirit, that the Spirit would uh, bring these things to mind. He, he'd remind them uh, in, uh, his words so that they could teach them. And, uh, and he taught them parables. And uh, for those uh, about three, three and a half years, uh, he instructed them and taught them. And so the Gospels are fundamentally... Well, the words of the Father through the Son uh, to his apostles and prophets, uh, his, his early disciples given to the, the church. And so the Gospels and, and even the New Testament are fundamentally they're the teachings of, of Christ. They're his, his instruction. Uh, but uh, those, those authors uh, played their, their own role in uh, Luke doing uh, research and uh, talking with eyewitnesses and, and such. Uh, and so we see some of that as he even uses uh, like Aaron and uh, Eliezer and Ithamar uh, and such, where again and again, even the times where, we, where it says that Moses spoke and maybe doesn't explicitly say that he wrote or it says he had someone else write, it's Moses' teaching uh, through and through. And so... Uh, we finished last time uh, looking through their first year at Sinai uh, and seeing how uh, the, the oracle concerning Amalek, uh, I'll utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven and uh, the Ten Commandments, the uh, Book of the Covenant, the records of the tabernacle, uh, the census, and some of the things that were explicitly said to be written down, uh, but uh, other things. He, he was teaching Leviticus and other laws and commandments and uh, even you have the, the song that they sang coming out, coming out of the Exodus and across the, uh, across the uh, sea. And so now tonight I just want to look at uh, some of the things that are explicitly said to be uh, written down during their 40 years uh, in the wilderness. And we only get a little, little glimpse of some of this. That it's a long time. It's a lot of time uh, to be able to, to write and uh, compose and such. And uh, we just get a little glimpse. And as we go, well, if we were to go all the way through numbers, we'd also see a lot of things like in Leviticus where there are a lot of commandments and teachings uh, given from Yahweh uh, to Moses uh, to the people that aren't explicitly said to be uh, written down, but... Uh, they were obviously being uh, recorded uh, over over time, and so uh, turn to uh, Numbers chapter twenty. And actually, uh, tw twenty one 
and we'll be looking around verse uh, 14. I'm just going to say that similar to how the Gospels came about, just that's what I'm told, just mm -hmm. kind of word of mouth, not really told to write them down until later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, there may have been uh, writing like uh, fairly early, early on and such, but uh, they, they were teaching uh, throughout uh, to, to the church and such. Is Numbers when the first Passover was, uh, how would you say, inaugurated? Well, I guess the... First time the, they ever had Passover? Well, look, looking back, but they had that uh, initial uh, Passover uh, coming out of uh, Egypt uh, with the uh, tenth plague and the oh, yeah. killing of the firstborn. That was before Numbers, yeah. Yeah, but then at the end of their time at, of that uh, first year and establishing the tabernacle and God manifesting his presence in their midst, they then have the first Passover that looks back uh, to what, what God had, had done. So spending that whole year and then being reminded of their, uh, of their deliverance uh, out of Egypt and then to go to the, the promised land to inherit it. So Numbers 21, verse 14. Yeah. Got to toggle some things off on my computer yeah. that I did not want up. Yeah. All right, and so here you, you have this uh, whole section it's kind of cool. It might be in a chiasm, and we can look at that in the future, but maybe other things going on too, where uh, they come, come out uh, end of the, uh, the 40 years, and uh, Miriam dies. Uh, then the people grumble uh, concerning uh, not having uh, water, and the serpents uh, attack them, and uh, Moses inter uh, intercedes, and you also see uh, uh, Moses... Uh, sin uh, and Aaron's sin uh, and then they uh, go to pass through uh, Edom uh, on their way so you have this kind of third section uh, and then uh, Aaron goes up a mountain to die and then I think they pass Moab and you go back to the people grumbling you know now about food and such and so it kind of echoes back and uh, frames around around these things and some of the consequences of uh, death of Miriam and those in the wilderness and, uh, and Aaron and, and the people grumbling and yet God, as the 40 years comes to an end to go to the promised land uh, but God is still gracious to them and provides uh, water and uh, brings them through, brings them safe passage uh, even with opposition of uh, Edom and Moab and uh, then the, uh, the Amorites who, who actually attack them uh, and so uh, along the way uh, the people uh, come out, uh, and after the, uh, the serpent, let's see, look at verse 10. And the people of Israel set out and camped in Obot, and they set out from Obot and camped at uh, E-Abirim in the wilderness, or I-Abirim, that is opposite Moab toward the sunrise. Uh, from there they set out and camped in the valley of Zered. Uh, from there they set out and camped on the other side of the Arnon, uh, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites uh, to the north. Uh, for the Arnon is uh, the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. And so uh, they're along the, uh, the Arnon, uh, which is sort of a, streams and kind of a, a river valley and, and such uh, that would flow uh, Moab to the east of the Dead Sea uh, and it would flow west into the, the Dead Sea, you know, especially as they have uh, downpours and rainy season and such. And so uh, they're encamped there uh, waiting to uh, pass across. Uh, and here we have this uh, border between uh, the Moabites uh, to the south and east of the Dead Sea and the Amorites uh, to the north. 
with uh, so Sihon and closer and closer to Jordan. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Sihon and Og of the uh, the Amorites uh, that uh, God will will defeat uh, for them uh, to the the east of the the Jordan. That's important because of just this uh, this border region. Uh, the Israelites uh, defeat uh, these Amorite kings and take the land, uh, but. It's a land that Moab wants to lay claim to and that they'd actually uh, possessed uh, sometime in the past before the Amorites had, had taken it from them. But there uh, we see, so just verse 13 again, we have kind of this travelogue. Uh, from there they set out and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Moab to the south, Amorites to the north. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of Yahweh, uh, Wahev in Sufa, in the valleys of the Arnon, and the slope of the valleys that extends to the seat of Ar and leans to the border of Moab. Uh, and from there, they continued uh, to bear, that is, uh, the well, of which Yahweh said to Moses, gather the people together so that I may give them water. Okay, that goes back to early in chapter 20 after Miriam's death and the people complaining about water and Moses striking the rock twice. And so God's going to give water and now they're going to they're praise and they're going to sing. But Is this anywhere near where uh, Sodom and Gomorrah ended up later? Well, they, they were uh, around the, the Dead Sea uh, to the south and some, some places a little more to the east, uh, others I think a little more to the the west, but southern end of the of the the Dead Sea. And so, the, that that was you know back in uh, Abraham's time, so uh, over several hundred years uh, earlier. Uh, but we have this interesting statement uh, in verse fourteen. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of Yahweh. The book, the book, or the scroll of the wars of Yahweh. Yeah. And we, we have this little snippet they take, and there's some kind of textual problems and some translational difficulties. Uh, one scholar even has uh, Yahweh came in a whirlwind. He came to the branch, uh, wadis of the Arnon. He marched through the wadis. He marched, turned aside to the seat of Ar. Uh, he leaned toward the border of Moab. And I recall that Ar is the, the capital of Moab. There, there are some reasons that uh, that may be a good reading, but there are other things that make it kind of difficult and, uh, and such. And so we can look at that more in the future. But the, the key thing uh, that like scholars point out and such is some of the geographical information uh, that, that they're using here. Uh, which shows that it's the it's the border the the Arnon uh, these uh, sort of uh, uh, river riverbeds and, and wadis that the that the water would flow through like with the the rains into the into the the Dead Sea and they draw on uh, the scroll of the the wars of Yahweh and so uh, this was a, a scroll uh, where apparently they wrote and uh, kept records of uh, God's defeat of his enemies, uh, the different wars that they uh, fought, uh, like during the, the 40 years and such, and uh, coming out, out, of, uh, out of Egypt, and they're even attacked by, by the Amalekites. Uh, and there are other places where you see kind of songs and such uh, commemorating uh, Yahweh's victories, uh, where we, we already spoke about as uh, Moses and Aaron and Miriam uh, come out of Egypt, and Pharaoh and his chariots, uh, Yahweh casts them into the sea and destroys them. Uh, they sing uh, in Exodus 15, and they commemorate that uh, with, with poetry and, and with uh, song uh, to, to remember uh, these things. And so these are things that, that were uh, written down. And even if we keep reading, and so we see there, uh, therefore is said in the book of uh, the wars of Yahweh, uh, Waheb in Sufa, in the valleys of the Arnon, in the slope of the valleys, 
uh, that extends to the seat of R and leans to the border of Moab, showing the border uh, with, with uh, their, their capital and a, a major city uh, and such uh, through the, the Arnon, this uh, wadi or, or river valley. But then keep uh, reading, verse 16, and from there they continued to bear, uh, that is, the well of which Yahweh said to Moses, uh, gather the people together so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing to it, uh, the well that the princes made, that the nobles of the people dug, people dug with the scepter and with their staffs. And from the wilderness they went to Matanah, and from Matanah to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bamot, and from Bamot uh, to the valley. I think Bamot uh, with the hills and like high, high places and such. And so they, they go down to the valley, lying in the region of Moab, by the top of uh, Pisgah uh, that looks down on the desert. So they're east of the Jordan, in the valley, uh, with the, the mountains and such, and uh, hill country looking down upon them. Uh, and that's where, uh, where uh, Balak, uh, the, the king of Moab, and uh, Balaam, or Balaam, or Bilam, I think I'd have to look again, Hebrew, uh, goes to, to curse them. But instead, God causes him to, to bless the people. But here we, we see this song. We see that uh, talk about a sight from the, the scroll of the, the wars of, of Yahweh. And even as you continue down into, let's see, uh, they, uh, verse 21, uh, Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into field or vineyard. We will not drink the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we passed uh, through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered all his people together and went out against Israel to the wilderness and came uh, to uh, Jahaz and fought against Israel. And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon uh, to uh, the Jabok or Yavok. Uh, as far as to the Ammonites, for the border of the Ammonites was strong, or it may actually be what uses earlier, uh, Jazer or Yazer, uh, their, uh, their border, a city along the, along the way. And the Ammonites and the Moabites were all descendants of Lot, so they weren't to attack them. Uh, but the Amorites were associated with uh, the Canaanite uh, peoples, so verse 25, and Israel took all these cities and Israel settled in all the cities of the Amorites and Heshbon and in all its villages. Uh, for Heshbon was the city of Sihon, uh, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore, the ballad singers say, come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sihon be established. King, king of the Amorites. Uh, for fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Sihon. It devoured Ar of Moab, again, their, their capital, and swallowed the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab. You are undone, O people of Chemosh, their god. Uh, he has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives to an Amorite king, Sihon. Uh, to an Amorite king, Sihon. So we overthrew them, Heshbon, as far as Dibon, perished. And we laid waste as far as Nophah, fire spread as far as Medaba. There's a pl plateau uh, which was the territory uh, where they passed north across the, the Arnon, uh, east of the Dead Sea. Uh, they cross over this uh, riverbed area. And so here they're, they're quote, quoting from ballad singers, uh, apparently, from the Amorites uh, that that would sing about uh, their victory over uh, over Moab uh, at that time. Uh, in verse twenty-six, uh, for Heshbon was the city of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. And so they're they're even drawing from uh, certain songs that were sung about uh, their victories. Uh, of the Amorites, of King Sihon, 
of the Amorites over Moab uh, before, before Israel came uh, and destroyed Sihon uh, and, uh, and their, their warriors and such and uh, their cities and, and villages. And so you see them uh, just drawing uh, quotes and songs and such, uh, some of them that they wrote from the scroll of the wars of, of Yahweh and uh, singing to the well <laughs> and commemorating this that we now find in Numbers. And we saw that with Miriam Adarin. Uh, you also have, uh, for instance, with uh, Deborah and Barak, after their victory, they sing. You, you have poetry and song that uh, commemorates uh, the victory that, that Yahweh had given, that we find like in the, the book, of, uh, book of Judges. And so this is something that they do throughout, uh, throughout, throughout time. In fact, look they're, at... They're keeping good records. Yeah. And to, to remember, uh, always to remember what Yahweh had done. Uh, and so uh, this, even as they're coming out of their uh, 40, 40 years uh, in the wilderness and Moses teaching and, and such uh, along the way. Uh, but look at, I think it's Joshua chapter 10. Maybe you've seen the book of Jasher or the book of Yasher, uh, the book of probably the upright. I've, uh, some of uh, those who are the, the believing upright or the believing righteous uh, through whom God uh, gave deliverance uh, throughout their, their time. And so let's just uh, read from the beginning here. Uh, so Joshua 10. As soon as Adoni Zedek or Adoni Zedek. Yeah. Which means righteous God. He, he's from the same place as, as Melchit Zedek. Melchit Zedek. Uh, King of righteousness. Lord of righteousness. Mm -hmm. But this one's he's not righteous. The other one blessed Abraham in his day. Now it's filled with a wicked, evil, uh, evil king along, along the way. A lot of times kings would give themselves names like that to show their righteousness and such and justice as, as kings. And so as soon as Adoni uh, Tzedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho, and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. Uh, the Gibeonites fooled uh, Joshua, and they didn't consult with Yahweh, uh, pretend that they were from afar, and their clothes and such were tattered, and they had little food left, and so they made a co covenant with them and peace. And so hearing about this, uh, verse 2, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than I. And all its men were warriors, uh, mighty men. So Adoni Tzedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, uh, to Piram, king of Yarmut, uh, to Yafia, king of Lachish, and to Devir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, uh, the king of Jerusalem, uh, the king of Hebron, uh, the king of Yarmut, uh, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, uh, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon uh, sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, uh, saying, uh, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from uh, Gilgal and uh, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And Yahweh said to Joshua, do not fear them for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly having marched up all night from Gilgal and 
The Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, uh, so west away from Jerusalem, out of the hill country, down, down the slopes, and chased them uh, by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as uh, Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, uh, Yahweh threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to Yahweh. In the day, uh, in the day when Yahweh gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, now listen up, sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon, or Ayalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Yashar? Uh, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven, and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Uh, there has been no day like it before or since, when Yahweh heeded the voice of a man. For Yahweh fought for Israel, so Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. And so uh, Joshua calls out, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book, or the scroll, of Yashar, or the, the scroll of the upright? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven, and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it uh, before or since, uh, when Yahweh he did the voice of it. And so, he draws, draws on this, the scroll of the upright, uh, to, to recount uh, these, uh, these things uh, with uh, the writing of the book of Joshua. And in Joshua, uh, there are some indications uh, where you seem to have uh, quite a bit of writing uh, going on in the years uh, after the conquest. Uh, and uh, Joshua even did some uh, some writing uh, at the end of Joshua where it talks about him. It may say that he uh, he, he added uh, to the Torah, to the law, or that he gave a law. There's some question about how it's handled. If it's the former, it would have to do, not with adding to the commandments, hey, you know, I think it'd be cool if we made the Ten Commandments, you know, how about we boil them down, five, six, seven, or maybe we'll have 23 commandments. No. Uh, if it meant the, the former, it would have been uh, as appointed as a prophet, uh, Moses laying his hands upon him, that he wrote additional writings that were uh, part of scripture uh, that was, was being written along uh, the way. So none of these other writings survived though, right? No. Uh, only, only in what... Uh, we, we only have two mentions of this one. Uh, the Book of the Wars of Yahweh is mentioned once, but we maybe have similar things with the, uh, with the song that they sang coming out of Egypt, uh, that Yahweh has prevailed greatly in such, the horse and the rider he has cast into the sea. Uh, you have similar things like that, and with like Deborah and Barak uh, singing about Yahweh's victory, uh, even, through, uh, uh, even through, well, Yael. Jail, uh, <laughs> uh, who gave uh, gave God gave deliverance uh, through this woman and Deborah and Barak uh, sing, and so there are other places where we see uh, similarities throughout their journeys. But we have one mention of the scroll of the wars of Yahweh, and two of the the book of the upright. In fact, go to Second Samuel seven. We'll maybe have to touch on a little more next week uh, as we, we go more into uh, Genesis. Uh, just look at some things in Deuteronomy. But I just kind of wanted to, to show you uh, some of these things where you, you see Scripture uh, coming coming together and it, uh, Moses and the people uh, writing like throughout their uh, throughout the year at Sinai and throughout the uh, the the forty forty years leading up to their 
uh, entrance into the promised land and the, the conquest. And part of this, I mean, it shows, it shows that it's, it's historical. Uh, they, they'll even cite uh, the different sources that they're uh, drawing upon. So the scrolls of the, the wars of Yahweh, uh, th that was something, uh, something distinct for a time, but then they draw on it and uh, weave it into the Torah. Uh, you, you have the Ten Commandments, first on two tablets of stone. Uh, you had the oracle uh, concerning uh, speak, uh, speak this in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You have this oracle, right? Write it in a scroll. Uh, the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone, the, the Book of the Covenant, uh, Exodus 21 through 23, the records of the tabernacle, the uh, the recording of the census and uh, the, the the book of the wars or the scroll of the wars of Yahweh. That is, they're recording Yahweh's victories uh, that He was giving them uh, through throughout time, and we'll see some more, like in uh, Deuteronomy and such, in the second census that they'll have. And so, this uh, war reminds me of modern wars that Israel has had, mm -hmm. where they've been so outnumbered and maybe exactly five nations against them. Absolutely, and and going down the the slopes from there's an, in the future, especially as we get more into Genesis, I, I want to bring some maps in to, to even help show some of, the, some of the geography and such. But just north of Jerusalem, there's an area called the Benjamin Plateau in the, in the hill country. And that's where, that's where Benjamin, uh, Judah's just south of Benjamin, and uh, Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Plateau in the hill country, this flat area. And there was traffic that would cross through uh, east and west, uh, east down to like Jericho, uh, in the the Jordan. As you go down to the Jordan, you go down to the river valley, so it slopes down, oh, the hill country, and west uh, down into the uh, the the foothills or the Shvela, and to the the Mediterranean coast. And there there, there are multiple times in Is Israel's history. I'm curious about your own eschatology about when the final. Battle of Armageddon happens. Well, you can't get into to that tonight. I know. But <laughs> okay. I don't want to get too far off track. But I was just going to say that there are there there are a few times in the Old Testament, and even in uh, Maccabees during the intertestamental period, and in modern Israel history, where they have routed their enemies down the Benjamin Plateau uh, along the Beth Horon Ridge Route. Uh, down down the land, and part of that, it was part of the geography. If they if they were going to route enemies out, they drove them down the, down. That's where that's where traffic would go. So first time in human history where Israel won't prevail. Well, I don't want to get into to that question tonight. I'm just really curious. Our time our time is too limited. So what do you think? Do you think the rapture is before that? We'll talk about that in the future. Okay. Okay. Sure. We we. We kind of had a little bunny trail, so you know, I don't want to get too far afield. It's but it's a good question. Uh, but here, David, after after Saul Saul dies, and Jonathan uh, from the the Philistines, uh, there's a. I think he's from the from the uh, an Amalekite who says there's some things that are maybe inconsistent with the story uh, when you read in different parts. Uh, where he says he found Saul and Saul had fallen on his spear and uh, asked him to kill him and he was suffering and such. But there's some inconsistencies where you read kind of the previous account and it's like, huh, the, maybe something a little fishy with his, uh, his story. And so he comes to David and says that he struck down, you know, Saul and came to report this and brought the, uh, the crown. And so look at... Uh, verse 10, or actually verse, uh, verse 11. So it's after he reports that he had struck, struck down Saul. Then David uh, took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan his son. And the people of Yahweh, uh, and for the people of Yahweh and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, uh, where do you come from? 
And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner in Amalekite. But David said to him, How is it that you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy Yahweh's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed Yahweh's anointed. And so Saul refused to kill the king of the Amalekites, Agag of the Amalekites, the leader. But David orders for this Amalekite to be struck down. And he, he does it. And so part of it, showing the, that David is, is just, here's one of God's enemies, and he's, uh, he's struck down. And some things seem a little fishy with this story if you read about the account where Saul and Jonathan die. And so verse 17, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. And he said, uh, and he said it, uh, should be taught to the people of Judah. Uh, behold, it is written in the book of uh, Yashar, uh, the book of the upright. Uh, he said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. Your mountains, O Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you. And so he goes on. But again, we see uh, his lamentation, and he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the scroll of the upright. And so over time, uh, they, they wrote and collected poetry and song and such uh, in the scroll of the upright uh, in, uh, in Joshua's day. And then uh, even into David's own day. And, and uh, some of these things were then uh, used for, for the scripture. And like in Joshua, if we went through, we'd see where they give allotments for the land. And uh, there are many things uh, recorded uh, in his day. And there, there are things that even signify uh, so much that was written uh, in his own time. Uh, following like the initial conquest and such. And uh, maybe the, the years after with... Uh, Aaron and Eliezer, Ithamar, Phinehas. Uh, Phinehas, uh, you even find him at the, the end of the book of Judges and uh, maybe some things written in like Samuel's day. And so uh, the book of uh, the upright is kind of like the, the book of the wars of Yahweh where again you see things like victories and uh, poems and lamentations and uh, Yahweh's victories uh, through, throughout the time. Uh, and so uh, some of these things just showing that they, they draw on these sources to show that uh, the that the, the people spoke and wrote these things uh, at the uh, at the time uh, and now let's go back go back to numbers do you think yep. that Moses's command that all these these books were written so that they would have the records and then when the Torah was written then they were there well I think we'll see that uh, the the Torah uh, by and large, uh, came together uh, with leading up to the end of Moses' life, uh, with maybe maybe some work and such uh, into the uh, the conquest. Like we we might see a a poem at the end of Deuteronomy that seems to most of most of Deuteronomy is just Moses' uh, teaching, and it says he he wrote down uh, the uh, the law. Uh, the commandments and the oracles and such. And that's the vast majority of uh, the book of Deuteronomy, as we'll see. Uh, but then uh, Yahweh also gave, uh, well, and also blessings and cursings and such. But he also gave a song for the people to remember, uh, to be a witness to them uh, that you find in uh, Deuteronomy 32. And you also have Moses' blessing, another song and poem in Deuteronomy 33. And there may be some indication that Yahweh says, write it in a scroll. So it might have been written in a separate scroll, but then with the end of Moses' life, with the, the conquest and such, uh, it, it was then placed together uh, in one scroll with, with the rest of, uh, what, rest of Deuteronomy, with the rest of the, the covenant and the law and the, the teaching. And uh, 
some things we, we might not know like the, the exact timing, but through and through, uh, you see it woven together too, that here you, you have, the, you have uh, the, the Torah and instruction like in Deuteronomy and such, uh, and the, the song, and they're both, they're both from Moses, uh, given from God to the people, and then delivered to, uh, to uh, well, not Aaron, but uh, to Eliezer, uh, to the priests, in uh, the Levites and Joshua for uh, safekeeping and such. And so uh, you see these things like Moses' song, uh, Moses, or the, the blessing, the song that was given. Uh, and even if some were written in a separate scroll, they're then placed in the, the same scroll. Do you think any of those other extra biblical things survived the Jewish people? Like, did the Jewish people just have them, or well, basically they, the Old Testament, or did they have other sources that? No, the, the, the wars, wars of Yahweh, uh, we, we only have like what's, uh, whatever, made it, whatever made it into uh, scripture. And uh, the uh, songs of, or the scroll of the, the upright, you know, we have an explicit mention in Joshua and in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1. But there are other things written. In fact, you find a whole lot of Davidic Psalms, like in the, the book of Psalms, and you find other uh, poetry and lamentations throughout the, uh, the books of Samuel. Uh, and uh, even framing, you have Hannah's poem early in Samuel, and uh, here at the beginning of 2 Samuel, uh, with a transition from Saul to David, you have uh, David's lamentation concerning Saul and Joshua and the people who had died, uh, the, the Israelites, uh, from the, the Philistines. Uh, and then at the end of Samuel, uh, David has, has other psalms and such. And so all of this, uh, they're busy writing. And like kings and such, they'd have their scribes. You, you even read about like Asaph, the recorder, and, you know, the recorder. And, you know, they're keeping history of uh, uh, the records of, of David and his administration and uh, rule and like narrative history. And so uh, they're all being written and, and recorded like during during their lifetimes and such. So I think part of God's, you know, the whole scripture is given by inspiration of God. Mm -hmm. But even just the scripture surviving through like the Babylon captivity and then when Jerusalem fell, mm -hmm. it survived all that. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. Like uh, I guess all those other books didn't make it, but yeah, God yeah, some had made, 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 make it what he wanted to. Yeah, he, he gave us what what uh, he wanted to preserve uh, what what he wanted to, to preserve and to give to the assembly of the redeemed. That you know that's what church uh, church means uh, for uh, for the the Jewish people and such, and uh, who went away into to captivity and for uh, for following, and then for the with the formation of like the New Testament uh, and such that he preserved. And so even if you you found like you know a book like this. Um, I wouldn't believe that it would be uh, that it would be scripture, uh, because God had uh, he had closed the canon, and you see that like with with the apostle John and such, uh, that he preserved uh, and delivered uh, for the people what he wanted them uh, to have, and there are other like interesting things you, you read about, like some of, of what's recorded in like. Um, some, not all of them, they're, they're different books of Maccabees uh, that actually preserve uh, some interesting and, and even uh, good history about what happened like with some of the Jewish people. Who are the Maccabees? I should know that. But... Well, like uh, Judas, uh, Maccabeus and such, uh, during the, uh, we call it like the Hasmonean dynasty, but during the period between the Testaments, the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament, and so... Uh, in like the second century uh, BC, uh, they were put under rule by uh, some of the the generals and rulers that came from Alexander the Great, uh, these Hellenistic uh, Greek Macedonian rulers uh, in Egypt and uh, to the north and such, uh, and they suffered great great persecution uh, by like Antiochus Epiphanes, and you, you find some of that prophesied in the book of Daniel yeah, okay. uh, about those things. About Eric's spoken about some of that. So, so. was the period was called the Maccabean period? Mm -hmm. Was that because it was the Maccabean people 
Yeah, and they, they talk about like the, the Hasmonean dynasty and, and such. Uh, but yeah, uh, descendants from, uh, you had like uh, brothers with uh, Matthi Matthias. Uh, Would you say general? And Judas Maccabeus who, who helped uh, overthrow uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Hellenized Jews? Hmm? Would you say it's Jews in Hellenistic culture, the Maccabees? Well, some of them were, were resisting the Hellenism, especially when they tried to force them to, they forbid uh, circumcision, they forbid mm -hmm. things like sacrifices, and uh, I think maybe even Sabbath keeping, and everything like distinctively Jewish, uh, Antiochus IV, under, under even like the pa penalty of torture and death. Um, and so... Kind of uh, like so, we're headed right now. But uh, we're, we're out of time, so let's... Uh, pray, and then we'll uh, we'll pick back up uh, next time. Holy Father, uh, thank you for your word, and uh, thank you for just the the testimony of your word uh, to uh, the uh, teaching and uh, authorship of of your prophet Moses, and that you delivered uh, your covenant and your word and your instruction uh, through him uh, to the people and uh, through through your prophets, uh, Joshua and uh, Samuel and uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and uh, the apostles uh, through, throughout history that you uh, spoke uh, through, through these men and uh, you uh, wrote down uh, your word through, through these men uh, and scripturated your word uh, and had it copied and preserved uh, so that we might uh, know you and we might be instructed uh, in in your word and that we might uh, know of the salvation that's in your son and have our sins forgiven uh, through uh, repentance and faith in him and his uh, death, burial, and resurrection bearing all of our sins. And so uh, we thank you for your word and we thank you uh, for your prophet Moses and uh, for uh, teaching us so that uh, we might be encouraged and uh, have an abiding hope. And we pray in your son's name. Amen.